The last two times I've spoken on Old Testament passages, so this time we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. But Paul in chapter 1 said, um, I don't know what to choose. He said, you know, to, to go on to be with the Lord is something that I really want to do. Verses 21 and, and following there in chapter 1, he says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better And how much more for a guy that actually was able to enter heaven himself, right? To see it. He really wants to be there, but he's hard-pressed. He says, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. We need to have the mind of, of, of Christ. We need to have the mind of Paul. That we would struggle with, you know, I really want to go home, but... I need to stay here. I've got a mission to do before the Lord takes me home so that we're always ready. You know, we don't have the fear that we had before we came to know Christ. We're not like the world that is living every night not knowing if they don't wake up whether they're going to be in heaven or hell. We know we're going to be with Christ. We know his promises. We know that Faithful is he that has called us. He will bring it to pass. He'll bring it to completion. And we can rest in that. So, with that, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. This is a wonderful passage on the person of Christ, yes. And, and basically, we jump right to that, but we don't look at the context of the chapter, which we will look at today. When you look at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2, it begins with the word therefore. When you see therefore, you always ask the question what? What is it therefore? So you need to go back to chapter 1 and you need to look. You need to look back uh, to verse, I flipped the page, it's 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 4, we'll see Euodia and Syntyche, and they're, at each, they're kind of going back and forth. This is not a Corinthian situation where they're suing each other, dragging each other to court. But something was off in the Philippian church. So there are many things to disagree with one another about, aren't there? Many, many things. I can think of the color of the carpet, the color of the paint on the walls, um, the kind of lights we have, the the kind of music we worship together uh, with on Sunday mornings. Uh, we We can talk about whether we should have masks or no masks, right? Social distance or no social distance. Vaccinations or no vaccinations, right? So we can go all, you know, there's always something to disagree about. Paul is saying this. He's saying, please, chapter 1, verse 27, he's saying, please stand firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel Brothers and sisters, they will see the love of God by the way we love one another. The world will look on us and see dissension, disagreement, 
arguing, complaining, or they're going to see us one in Christ Jesus. And I don't think there's a better time in the history of this country, in the history of humanity, than to look at what we're going to look at today. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Those words, if there is, can also be translated since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, and we know that there is when we know him, right? Since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Uh, brothers and sisters, our default is not this. Our default is selfishness. Our default is wanting our way. Our default is uh, dissension in the flesh when we're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit, right? So we have to rehearse what the scriptures teach. I know the Mayo Clinic says that narcissism is this. We hear that word thrown around all over in our culture now. You know, Trump was a narcissist, they said. Now Biden's in office. Now Biden's a narcissist. Everybody's a narcissist, right? Well, what does it mean? Let's look at what it means. Narcissism, according to the Mayo Clinic, is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance. Sound familiar? A deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. You know, it's kind of scary, but I think there's a little bit of narcissism in all of us when you think about it with that definition. <laughs> and that's the clinical definition. We are a nation of narcissists, and we've been taught that from the earliest of ages. My old pastor, when he got back from South Sudan, he lived in a hut, and he had to carry a five-gallon five gallon bucket from the creek every day up for his water needs. Um, he came back, and when he came back, before he assumed a pastorate here locally, he um, went to the cereal aisle at the grocery store. Getting back from Sudan and standing in the cereal aisle and looking at the multiple kinds of cereal of each kind and them not having many things that they wanted and that they, they were craving when they were there for so many years, he began to weep. And he began to say, you know, God, this is an amazing nation. This is a blessed, blessed country. But the blessing that we have of so many choices the blessing we have of so many things at our disposal can cause us to be very picky, to complain, to seek our own ambition selfishly if we don't have what we want. You know, we complain about not having the food we, we want. We complain about not having the right seasoning on the food. We complain if we eat 
Greek two nights in a row or Mexican two nights in a row. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. There's so much out there, and we are a blessed, blessed people. But in the midst of that blessing, Paul says, do nothing, verse 3, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That should depict us as believers in Christ, the way we treat each other, the way we love each other, the way we give each other preferential treatment. If we truly consider each other as more important than ourselves, what does that do to selfishness? It obliterates it, doesn't it? That's what he wants us to have. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you the best example. And as he does that, he's going to give us one of the most amazing Christological passages on the person of Christ that we have throughout all of Scripture. It's amazing. You ready? Have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Brothers and sisters, he is our example. He is our example. This is the Jesus who for eternity past was in the throne room, in the presence, right, of the Father, in the presence of the elders, in the presence of those who've gone before us, Moses, Elijah. He was in their very, very presence. He gave up a perfect environment. Perfect. He gave up perpetual worship and song. He gave up fellowship with the saints of old, right? He gave up being with the Father continually, perpetually in the presence, immediate presence of his wonderful God and was sent on a mission, deployed, okay, to earth to become a little baby, okay, a baby, little baby, God, baby, right? And in that baby, he grew up to be all that we know. And that's a lot to give up. That's humility. That is humility. To have your diapers changed is humility. And when your deity that doesn't cease being deity as he came to this earth, in no way did he cease being deity. Understand that though he existed in the form of God, he left that environment. He took the form of a bondservant he humbled himself, being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, not of deity. He emptied himself of all of those things we just went through. 
the presence, immediate presence of the Father, the throne room, all of what he's had in eternity past. And he came here to be with us, to live like we live, to grow up like we grew up, to serve us. He was a servant, and he loved us and served us to the point of what? To the point of death, even death on a cross. To the point of death, to put it in our language, even going to Broad River Road, sitting on death row, and being taken out. There's only one thing he, it says he despised. He despised the shame associated with all that. I don't know why Isaiah 53 highlights that. But if you were sitting on death row, there would be shame. There would be tremendous shame. Because all of humanity wants you gone. They want you out of here because of what you've done. And that's what he despised. He despised the shame associated with what he did. But he humbled himself out of love for his father and out of love for us. Amen? Have the attitude that he had, brothers and sisters. Humble yourself and be that person who gives himself for other people. Verse 8, he found himself as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are many that shake their fists at God there are atheists that do that. I don't know why, because they don't believe that he's there. Um, agnostics, right, who don't believe there's enough evidence in order to believe. But, but what it says here is that every knee will bow of those who are already in heaven before us, those who are still here on earth, and those under the earth, I think those are the ones who have gone possibly even to hell, every, at the great judgment, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I remember when I was a Cub Scout many years ago down in Homestead, Florida, there was a flagpole in the middle of a field as all the Cub Scouts gathered for the Scout Jamboree. Do you guys remember those? The Scout Jamboree there were hundreds, if not thousands, all over this field that looked like the fairgrounds downtown next to williams Bryce Stadium. And there was this flagpole that went up hundreds of feet. It was an amazing flagpole. Um, it went way up, uh, bigger than any flagpole I've ever seen, ever. And um, there was a big American flag on it. When I say big, it was big. It was really, really, really big. So we were there and enjoying it, and... Um, all of a sudden, a bolt of lightning hit the top of that flagpole. And I'll never forget it, because involuntarily, the whole field fell to the ground, face, face down. Boom. We instantly fell. It was so much noise and so much light that we instantly fell to the ground. And I'll never forget regaining my senses in the, that split second and looking up and seeing a flat field. 
there wasn't anybody that was standing up. And I'm like, that's powerful. In my little brain, I thought, that is amazing. There's not one, no adult, no child, nothing. And that's what I believe that it says here, that the power, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ will cause every knee to bow, everyone to say that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray that our friends, our family, and those we meet, that God sends to us, realize that before this point, because they will bow, and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to pray that they do that before the great judgment. We need to pray that God uses us and our testimonies, our love for them, our humility that he's calling us to here, being approachable so that they can see the love that Jesus has for them, that they might come to know and love him as well. So then, verse 12, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, you've got to remember the context. The context is unity. The context is the body of Christ. It's Calvary Chapel, Irmo. God wants us, God wants you to be united in love. He doesn't want all these little nitpicky things coming between you, okay? So in that context, what it is saying here in 12 and 13 is you need to work out things with each other. You need to compromise with one another. Not compromise the word of God or truth, but you need to work through it, whatever those little nitpicky things are, the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or, or what song you're going to sing or what style of music you're going to have. All those things can be worked out. Everyone can give so that there's not barriers between relationships here at Calvary Chapel Irma, work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because if you don't and you make those things that are minor, major, we're not talking about heresy. We're not talking about things that you need to stand firm on, but we're talking about the minor issues. If you don't work those things out, it's going to affect your relationship with Christ. It's going to affect the testimony of this church and the reputation that Calvary Chapel Irma has in this community, if you lock down and butt heads and don't give in and work it out. Now, we also know this. When it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and work for his good pleasure, it's not saying here that we work for our salvation. We know that from all the rest of Scripture. Context is king. We've got to go back to what we know to be true. We know in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you're saved through faith, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It's not a work of yourself. It's a work of God by his grace working through you, right? So we, we know that it's not talking about working for our salvation here. But it's saying work it out with fear and trembling. I think that is there to remind us the fact that 
God really takes us seriously. He wants us to get along. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to not have these mountains between us, these barriers that break down relationships between each other. He wants us to work it out. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Those mornings you get up, like I do, and I just don't feel like walking in the Spirit. Some, some of those mornings, you know I have to cry out, verse 13, to give me that will. But he's working in us to give us that will. If you cry out and ask him for the will, he'll give you the will. Psalm 119 is filled with that as well. There's a great passage, and one of my favorite in Psalm 119. And it says this, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the paths of your commandments. We can pray for that as well. For I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. That means, verse 36, give me the will. Give me the will to have your heart, Lord, and not as I go out and do business or I go out and do this or go out and do that and not have a desire and a thirst for dishonest gain. God can give us the will, brothers and sisters, when we wake up those mornings and don't feel like a believer in Christ. Don't feel like doing the right thing. Don't feel like not arguing and complaining and, and desiring our own way at the expense of a relationship and a friendship. At the expense of walking in unity with, with our, our wives and our husbands that day. God can give us the will. He's at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. How hard is it to not grumble or complain. It's tough, isn't it? Again, we live in one of the most blessed countries on earth. There are many choices before us. When you go down the cereal aisle and the Honey Nut Cheerios are not there for you, and you've got to drive to another store to find them, you grumble and complain, don't you? I do at times. I have to catch myself. Lord, help us. We need help. We need help when things that are so <laughs> insignificant become so major. Lord, help us. Do you remember Korah in the Old Testament and what he was known for? Rebellion, complaining, being, having a critical spirit. The Lord does not like this. <laughs> He wants us to be a thankful people. He does not want us to complain. And we're set up, man. We're tempted here because of all that we have and all the different nuances of what we can choose, right, to do or to be or to want. But the scriptures don't let us off because we're blessed. The scriptures did not let the children of Israel off because they were blessed. 
they were still accountable and they ended up in a really rough spot because of their rebellion, their disobedience, and I'm sure it begins often with grumbling and complaining. We don't want to be that people. Prove yourselves, verse 15, to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. God wants us to be above reproach. Right now, I believe that this is especially important for us as believers as it gets darker. As our culture gets darker, the spotlight of inquisition is going to come into our lives more and more. Listen, I believe this is going to be true from every direction, whether it's the IRS, whether it's um, something that we compromise and hide from everyone else. We want to be above reproach. We do not want to be vulnerable to the enemy and what the enemy, his agenda is going to be. We want to be above reproach in this crooked and wicked generation. We want to appear, it says in verse 15, as lights in the world, as lights. When you're in that dark place and you light a candle, you've all seen it. It's amazing what it will light up around you, that one little flame. Same thing with, uh, I use my LED all the time on the back of my iPhone. It works incredibly. When I'm in an attic looking at something, if I'm in a dark spot, it'll light it up. And that's what we do. We're lights. We're salt and light. We are lights in this world. And that's what God wants us to be. And the way to do that is to stay above reproach. Be blameless and innocent. Don't give in to the temptations to go around. And, and you know, this gets down to things that, that the Lord really convicts me of a lot. It's little things. And it happens maybe once a week, once every couple weeks for me, where I have to bring something up to someone at a cash register. Or we, I'm a contractor, and I buy and sell all day long. I buy this, I buy that, we buy, you know, materials, we buy things at Lowe's, we go out to Oswald Lumber, and there's always an opportunity when somebody doesn't load your cart correctly, right, to say, you know what, I got it for free, I'm out, I'm gone, I'm, I'm gone, look. But when you get to the gate and they check your order and it's wrong, right, and you knew it was wrong, then the Lord will convict you and you get it straight, but when you get away with it, who still sees it? The Lord sees it. And yeah, you can go through Sam's and maybe get something in that cart that they're not going to scan with that three boom, boom, boom. She scans your ticket, scans three things, and you're good. And they might not catch the thing you hit at the bottom when you check it out yourself. But the Lord is saying here, don't be that person. Be blameless. Flee innocent in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Brothers and sisters, they are crooked. They're selfish. They're looking out for their own interests. They're looking out for themselves. But they're also really perverse. It's getting darker, isn't it? The perversity. 
I'll tell you, just in my lifetime, seeing what the internet has done with pornography, what it has done to our children, what it has done to our society, the devil is pulling out all the stops. And I believe, as our brother prayed this morning before the service, that the time is short. The time is short, and he knows his time is short. And he is pulling out all the stops. But we're the ones that have to live in the middle of that. Our brothers and sisters before haven't had to live like we live, being inundated with this, this guy all day long, right? And the temptations that, that he provides all day long, right? And the computer screen, and the iPad, and the and, 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 right? So, it says don't live like the world is living. Live above and beyond reproach. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul is saying please remember the gospel. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what Christ has done for you. Because he doesn't want those who are not, who don't really know him yet, but think that they do. He wants them to persevere till they come to know him. And there are those among us who claim Christ, who, who say that they've made a profession of faith in Christ and they know Jesus and they're born again, who are really not yet. They're just in process. They're going through all the motions and they look like us. My sister-in-law was that. She's a pastor's wife. This happened four years ago. Just um, um, Emily was uh, a picture perfect pastor's wife. She's a 4-H, uh, head of 4-H uh, up in Tennessee. My brother's a Southern Baptist minister. Uh, they're at Longview Baptist. And Emily wasn't saved. She went through all the motions. She's a pastor's daughter, guys. But four years ago, she's like, I don't know the Lord. I do not know the Lord. I, I have not... I'm not, I don't, this has all been, been a, a play. This has all been just something I've walked through. I don't know the Lord. And she gave her, her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and she knows him now. So understand that Paul wants us to know the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, so that they don't, they don't run in vain. Once we know the Lord, we're safe, we're justified, right? He's got us. Hebrews 12, he disciplines us and makes sure that we stay on track, and he will, he will do what he, he initially started. He will complete that until the day of Christ Jesus. But there are many of us, there are some of us, there's a few of us who don't know him yet, and Paul said, for those who are amongst us who think they know him but have not truly examined themselves to make sure they're in the faith, those... Can run in vain they can toil in vain and we need to make sure that we hold fast to the gospel of christ and not anything else for our salvation what is the gospel i always like to give the gospel i want to give the gospel to everyone what is the gospel it's romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you'll be saved if you put all of your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. Yes, it comes with an acknowledgement of understanding that you're a sinner, 
and understanding that you need a Savior, but it's putting your full faith and trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and believing. It's just a matter of believing Him and putting that faith and trust in Him. Paul says in verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He went through a lot to serve them, a lot to love them, a lot on their behalf. Verse 18, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Often, Philippians is called the epistle of joy. God has given us joy in the faith. He's given us love. He's given us joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is something that we can have despite circumstances, despite the fear that permeates our culture right now, despite the difficulties that you're going through, despite the horrible things that we see around us, we can have joy. Why can we have joy with all of that going on? Why? Because, because of Christ, because of our relationship with him. He gives us a peace that passes understanding. He can allow us to ride above what we're going through, the suffering that we might be going through. because we're his, because he loves us, and because he's coming back for us. We will have an extended rest when we get to be with him. We will have an extended time of peace that will last forever and ever, brothers and sisters, and our relationships and our fellowship will never end. That's the one thing that I that is most difficult for me in this life. I have a job that causes me all day long to pretty much be by myself. I, I meet people during the day. I'll, I'll eat lunch with folks, but, you know, most of the day is by myself. <clears throat> and it's hard leaving my wife in the morning. It's hard leaving my, my son in the morning. It was hard when my other four kids were growing up before they left the house, leaving them and going off but our fellowship in heaven will be never-ending. We will never have a time that we don't, we're not in the immediate presence, right, of one another and in the presence of the Lord most of all, the presence of Jesus. We will be in his presence. And our joy will be complete. Paul says, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. He wants not only to bless the Philippian church, but he wants them to bless him. And the way he wants them to do that is the way he wants Calvary Chapel Irma to do that. And that's to love each other, to walk with each other humbly like Christ would, and not live in disagreement with one another and arguing and complaining, grumbling and disputing with one another. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, to send Timothy to you shortly. He's going to now give us two examples of some guys who are doing it right. 
Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says, I want to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. This was a stellar guy. Uh, Verse 21, for they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ, but you know of his, Timothy's proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Boy, when the kids are young, it's amazing. I'd say the age is from two, actually I think it goes up through pre-adolescence, but the kids, or at least my kids, love to serve, and they love to be right there and do everything with you. It's a blast. You know, I love coming out and seeing um, my son's bicycle parked right next to my motorcycle in the garage with the tire the same direction, the same. I took a picture. It was so special. Or Josh, my firstborn, when I was mowing the grass, he had a little plastic lawnmower going behind me, right? And Josh learned all the tools that I had in the garage. And if I said, Josh, go get the shovel or go get this or go get that, he would go and get it. He loved to serve, right? That's Timothy. Timothy loved to serve, and he's a great example to us. We should love to serve one another. That is part of what it means to be a believer and a follower of Christ, serving one another. Verse 13, Therefore I hope to send him, Timothy, immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. You know, Right now, Paul, Paul is in, in bondage. He's got his own house. He's in Rome, but he's under house arrest, but he's also chained to guards 24-7. He's never alone. And he is telling them that he wants to see them soon. Verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow Upon sorrow. Now, this is an interesting passage dealing with sickness. This week, we had Todd Osteen, one of our members who was on the Belize trip two weeks ago, come back with COVID. Uh, he got put on the ventilator about a week and a half ago, and he, they called the family in on Thursday night and said, okay, you need to say goodbye <clears throat> at Lexington Medical Center. Todd's about 160 pounds. He's thin. He um, works all day on his feet. He's an electrician. And this is not the typical person that you would see in this condition. So what we did is we got about, about 15 of us gathered at Lexington Medical Center out in the courtyard. That's a beautiful courtyard. I've never seen it. It's got the, the fountains coming down, and it's just gorgeous. Um, so we gathered out there on the patio to the right of the new main entrance down below, and we just we got all the chairs and formed a circle, and we had a prayer meeting for, for Todd. And we prayed for Todd. And we had a brother there, we didn't know it, that said, Todd's going to be healed. <clears throat> brother Archie, and I'd never met Archie before, and Archie said, Todd's going to be healed. And he believed that God was going to heal Todd. And we prayed that God would heal Todd. 
And uh, he got better the next day. He got not all the way better. He started getting better the next day. Todd did. So Todd is still there. Please pray for Todd Osteen. Please pray for Todd Osteen and Anita, his dear wife, his two sons. Please pray for Keaton. Um, I forget his other son's name. But pray, pray for their family. Please pray for them because uh, they're really, really, really going through it right now. We prayed for healing. We didn't know Archie's wife had had a major stroke that morning and that she was up in the hospital. He didn't tell, tell, he told me at the end, after everybody had gone, he said, you know, my wife had a stroke this morning, she's up there and I can't be with her. And my heart went out to this poor brother who's really going through it. His best friend, Todd Osteen, he has lunch with him each week and been doing that for years. And then his wife, um, so pray for Elizabeth, pray that God will raise her back up and that she'll get all of her function back and, and all of that. And pray for Archie, please. But here we have Epaphroditus. He's a brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also uh, your messenger, Paul says, and minister to my needs. He was longing for you guys. Epaphroditus wanted to come to the Philippian church, but he was distressed. He had heard that they had heard he was sick, and he didn't want them to be burdened with that. <laughs> Sensitive guy. Verse 27, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, not only him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Brothers and sisters, we're all going to get sick one, one way or the other at one time or another. And bottom line, the brothers and sisters who've gone before us have all died, if you've noticed. So unless Jesus comes back soon, we'll all follow the same pattern. And some of us will get sick and die even of disease. So the Lord doesn't heal all of us on this side, does he? He can choose to heal us on the other side. We know this because Elijah him, Elisha himself died of a disease. Most people don't know that. But if you look at 2 Kings 13, verses 14 and 20 and 21, Elijah died of a disease. Elisha, excuse me, Elisha died of a disease. You say, well, maybe he fell away from the Lord and he was sinful at the end of his life. The scriptures don't teach that, brothers and sisters. When we pray for people's healing, God does do miracles. He heals. And he does extraordinary things, but he doesn't always do that. We need to pray in accordance with his will and understand if he doesn't heal, that they're going to be healed on the other side. And we need to rest in that and not tie your faith or their faith or anybody else's faith in the fact of somebody not being healed. Even the faith of a mustard seed can do amazing things and move mountains. But understand, we don't want to follow the health and wealth gospel that says, if you have enough faith, you will be healed all the time, and it's guaranteed. We also don't want to play the part of God and saying this person will be healed when we don't know if they're going to be healed. Now, at the same time, Brother Archie said that Todd is going to be healed, and we'll see if that's the case. I pray that it is. I pray that God has given him that insight to, force, to foretell that in such a way that it will happen. But it won't be because Brother Archie said that. It won't be based on that. It'll be based on the power of God, and the glory won't go to Archie, guys. The glory is going to go to Jesus Christ and the power of God to heal Brother Todd Osteen. Amen? 
So even Elisha was a godly man when he died. We know that because they threw, somebody threw a body into his grave, into his tomb. You remember the story? And when the body touched his bones, you remember what happened? It was raised to life. So Elisha was God's servant even to death, suffering through a disease. So if you die of cancer, God forbid, or I die of something, a disease, you're in good company. Other folks have gone before as well and died that way as well. It's not because of your sin necessarily, and we'll see this in just a second. Look at verse 28. Therefore, Paul says, I sent him, Epaphroditus, all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ. All right? So God can use disease for the work of Christ. Now, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to get that disease, okay? But God can use that in our lives for the work of Christ. Not because we sinned, but for the work of Christ. Now, I do want to keep in, I do want to keep this theologically accurate. So let's look at James 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Look, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Can our sins result in disease or result in sickness? Yes. And that's throughout the Scripture, so much so that Job's friends tied it, his sickness, to sin, right? Because that's just logical. That's what humanity has experienced since the beginning. So yes, our sin can produce disease and sickness. We know that simply by the way we eat. If you eat bad stuff, you're going to get what? Sick, right? If you live a lifestyle of that and don't correct it, then you're going to get Probably type 2 diabetes, and not everyone with type 2 diabetes in there, don't, don't hit me over the head after the service, all right? But then it goes from there. If you continue to do it, which I see my friends all the time at the veterans facility out here that I serve, they continue to eat wrong and continue to do the wrong thing, then you start losing fingers, then you start losing toes, then you start losing your legs and your arms, yeah, so you can be that stubborn, right? But, but Epaphroditus here, Epaphroditus was not sinning. He was doing the work of Christ. He might have been going into homes where there was disease to offer the Lord's Supper to a brother or sister who were in need and caught a disease. We don't know. But we do know that the work, because of the work of Christ, he came close to death. He came close to death in verse 30, risking his life, it says, to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Paul says, I can't be there, but Epaphroditus, he stood in the gap, even willing to put himself at risk to serve the brothers and sisters with whatever it was they were going through 
risking his life and doing that work which was deficient, uh, which Paul could not complete because he was not there. He called it a deficiency. All right, so what have we learned about healing? We know that God heals, right? Are we on the same page? We know that if you're sick, that it's not necessarily because of your sin, right? It can be, right? But we know that it's not necessarily because of sin. We also know that God sometimes calls us in faith to minister to those who it might put your health in danger, okay? It might put you at risk. You might have a friend call with COVID and say they, want, they need groceries, they need food. You need to deliver that. Does that mean you need to go in the house? No. I had one of my friends two, a week ago, Chris, he got COVID and, and his wife got COVID and he didn't want us near the house. He said, leave it in the driveway. I said, okay. I said, I've had COVID. I'll be happy to bring it to the door. He said, don't dare. He said, leave it in the driveway. So I left it in the driveway. That was safe, right? But we need to serve each other, even in disease, and trust that the Lord will protect us, provide for us, and get us through this stuff. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for coming, humbling yourself, and serving us, Lord. Thank you, God that you loved us that much, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I pray there would not be one in here today that would leave here without knowing for certain, Lord, that they know you, that they are yours, that you love them and are ready, Lord, to begin a personal relationship with them. I, I pray, Father, that you will complete what you have begun in us until the day of Christ Jesus, Father. I just pray, God, that you will continue to bless Calvary Chapel Irmo. I pray, Father, that they will walk in unity. I pray, Father, when they're tempted to complain. I pray when they're tempted, Lord, to sin. I pray, God, that you will remind them how much you love them and what you've done for them, to remind them of what Jesus did for us, Lord, to unite this sweet fellowship, Lord, as an amazing trophy of your grace all over the Midlands, I pray, that many would be drawn here to come to know you, love you, and serve you, I pray. Go with my brothers and sisters now as we leave. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.